This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Kelly Dooley, who's the first author of the paper Assessing Protomidid for Tuberculosis, a randomized phase two trial of protomidid containing regimens for drug-sensitive tuberculosis, 12-week results, uh, which was recently published in the Blue Journal. Dr. Dooley is a professor of medicine and director of the Division of Infectious Disease at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. So, Kelly, thanks for joining us. To start off with, protomidid is a relatively new drug for tuberculosis. Uh, can you tell us more about the drug and how it's currently used? Yes, sure, I can. In fact, it is our newest drug for tuberculosis. We had a dearth of drug development for TB for a long time. And then in this century, we've had a few drugs developed and protominid was registered first in 2019. It is registered for a very niche population. So for patients that have highly resistant tuberculosis. So, and it is registered to be used in combination with bedaquilin and linazolid. So it's bedaquilin, protominid, linazolid, or BPAL. And it's a six-month treatment duration for people with extensively drug-resistant or hard-to-treat multidrug-resistant TB. Okay, now moving to your, to your paper, what were the objectives of your clinical trial? Yeah, so so this was a trial designed in, in 2013 and had first patient in in 2015. So just to give you a, a sense of the time frame when this was designed, but essentially, you know, tuberculosis treatment is very long. It takes six months of multiple drugs to cure people with TB. And so this trial was designed to, to see whether a protominid containing regimen had promised to be a shortening, a treatment shortening regimen for people with drug sensitive tuberculosis. In general, in TB, we're seeking shorter, easier to take, more potent regimens. And so from some early mouse data and from the experience in people with drug-resistant TB, we thought that protominid was a, a highly promising drug for treatment shortening in, in drug-sensitive TB. Okay, great. Can you describe your patient population and the, and the study design? Yes, yeah, certainly. So this was a phase two open label trial. It was conducted with a research group, University of Cape Town Lung Institute in Cape Town, South Africa, and all the patients were enrolled at this single site. These were adult patients with pulmonary TB and their, their TB had to be drug sensitive. Essentially the design people were randomized to one of three regimens. The standard of care regimen, which is isoniazid, rifampin, pyrazinamide, etambutol. And then there were two experimental regimens. So one had protominid with rifampin, isoniazid, and pyrazinamide. And then the second had protominid and isoniazid and pyrazinamide, but instead of rifampin had rifabutin. And the reason for that drug substitution was because rifampin has drug interactions with protominid. We knew that it would bring down the drug exposures. And so we substituted rifampin for rifabutin in one of the experimental arms so that that would mitigate the drug interaction and the protominid exposures would be higher in that arm. We were given the treatment for 12 
12 months or 12 weeks, and then they were transitioned to standard of care with rifampin and isoniazid to complete 24 weeks of treatment. Great. And what were your primary outcomes? Yeah, so the primary outcome, the primary efficacy outcome was time to culture conversion. So how long it takes from people who initially have positive sputum cultures on liquid culture to negative. And then our primary safety outcome was grade three or higher adverse events. Okay, so let's move to the results. What did you find? Okay. Yeah. So, so great. Thanks for asking. So yeah, in this labor of, of love, we ended up enrolling 157 patients and to have 150 who are eligible for our modified intensive treats. 80% of them had cavitary lung disease, a small proportion had HIV. And we found that the time to culture conversion in the group that received the rifabutin with protominant, so no drug interaction arm, their cultures were converted about twice as fast with a hazard ratio of 1.9. And then in the protominid and rifampin arm, the culture conversion was about 40% faster. And if you just look at week eight culture conversion, because this can give you some numbers you can hang your hat on, culture conversion was 69% in the standard of care arm, 79% in the rifampin protominid arm, and then 89% in the protominid and rifibutin arm. I think that's among the highest uh, eight-week culture conversion rate we've seen in a clinical trial before, and that tends to be a reasonable biomarker for treatment shortening or the clinical outcomes we care about, which are cure without relapse. In terms of the safety, I'll, I'll tell you that the grade three events were 5% in the rifampin arm, 9% in the protominid rifibutin arm, and 4% in the standard of care arm. And there tended to be more episodes of asymptomatic liver injury in the arm and the people who received the experimental arm of protominid with rifibutin. And we're still trying to sort out why that was. So that was my next question, actually. I mean, time to conversion was shorter with protominant rifibutin, but also that was the group with the most serious adverse events and, uh, and liver toxicity. What are the potential reasons for that? Yeah, that's a good question. We don't really know. So we're doing some work. One of my the junior faculty at, at Johns Hopkins is doing some protominid PK toxicity work. So looking at the exposure toxicity relationships, as well as the exposure response relationships, along with a colleague, Camu Gaussi at University of Cape Town. So we're trying to sort out if this is an issue of higher drug exposures of protominid give higher risk, or is it an issue of of the companion drugs? Is this something related to pyrazinamide? Because we, we're seeing that there's not much liver toxicity in the BPEL regimen development program and, and when that's used internationally. So we don't really know if it has something to do with drug interactions, if it has something to do with companion drugs, if there's something about, you know, there are certain patients that are at higher risk. So that we're really, we're really trying to sort out. In terms of efficacy, I, th I think really that the protominid exposures were higher in the people who received the protominid and rifibutin because there's no drug interaction to drive the exposures down. And so I think it was, it's as if they're getting twice the dose. And I think that was what drove the efficacy in that arm. Okay. Yeah. I noticed you didn't have many patients with HIV in, in the trial. Why was that? 
Yeah, so when this was designed, I think we're all very used to having integrase inhibitors as the standard of care, both in the U.S. and and internationally, but integrase inhibitors really didn't get introduced in Africa and in many settings until about 2018, and this trial was designed in 2013 and started enrolling patients in 2015. And if Favarins reduces the concentrations of protominid, which was the drug of interest, and also if you use a Favarins together with rifibutin, there's a drug interaction there and you have to increase the dose of rifibutin. And so it was really just a complex medley of drug interactions that would, we thought, obscure some of the results of the trial. And so since the Favarins was standard of care at the time, you know, we, we didn't have People, people with HIV in the trial who were on treatment at the time. I think now, if we were to design the trial, it'd be very easy. People would just get TLD, you know, tenofovir, lamivudine, and dolutegravir, which is standard of care and given to patients with TB as uh, first-line therapy. And that would be relatively straightforward. But yeah, these are different times. Any other limitations to, to your results? I th- yeah, I think I think that is certainly one. I would say, you know, we still have some work to do to try to understand the the relationships between exposures and response and the reasons for the toxicities that we did see. I'm hopeful that our trial will contribute to our understanding of how to use protominid, which is a very potent drug. You know, how how best to use it with which companion drugs in which settings. So if we put all the data together across protominant trials, I think we're going to learn a lot about how to do that. Other limitations of the study, I mean, it was at one single site in South Africa. So, you know, maybe that patient population doesn't represent the broad range of people who present with tuberculosis, lung disease. Yeah, I would say that those are the main ones. Now, you mentioned sort of it's it's largely a niche drug at the present time. It's, it's largely reserved for the treatment of drug-resistant TB. Yeah. Do you think in the future we'll be using it for um, drug-sensitive TB, or do you think that's going to be difficult to, to get people to accept? Yeah, you know, I think so. I think we have for many years been fine with, well, not fine. We've had one treatment regimen for, for everyone with drug-sensitive TB, the standard isoniazid, rifampin, pyrazinamide, ethanidol. But there are a lot of people who can't tolerate that regimen. And so we need to have some alternatives on the shelf. So some people, some clinicians in the U.S., even now, when they are finding that their patients don't tolerate very well rifamycin-based therapies, whether for reasons of allergy or drug interactions, say with transplant drugs or, or other medicines they're taking, they've been using BPAL. So that, again, bedaquiline, protominid, and linazolid, a rifamycin-sparing regimen. And so gradually, clinicians in the U.S. have gathered together their experience with BPAL and are starting to report it. So, so I, think, I think we're going to learn more about how that regimen performs in people with drug-sensitive TB. And, and as people have gradually more experience with it, I mean, granted, yes, it's with second, you know, kind of as a, in a second line scenario when you can't use first line drugs for some reason. But, but yes, my hope is that long term we're going to have several drugs on the shelf for people with TB and not just one treatment regimen. But yeah, we just really have to understand what, what to use it with to get, to get the best out of it.
So to follow up on that, I mean, I, you were a, one of the authors of a, a study, I think came out last year about using a high dose rifapentin and moxifloxacin uh, just for four months. Do you think a protomonid containing drug regimen might have potential advantages over that? I think there are some. Yeah, so one is um, if there are ways that you can avoid erythromycin, then you avoid drug interactions with all the drugs that people take, right? So if your high-dose rifapentine is very potent, but there are, it's a, it's a potent inducer of metabolizing enzymes, so that makes it challenging to use it with HIV drugs, diabetes drugs, cholesterol drugs, you know, um, transplants, immunosuppressive drugs. So I think that that's 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 one place where a protominid regimen might be useful, where the moxifloxacin high-dose rifapentine regimen is less likely to be helpful. I would say other advantages are that protominid is less, that, that the, the spectrum of activity is narrower than a fluoroquinolone, which has broad activity against many bacteria. Yeah, I would say that those are the main the main areas. There's a there's a pretty high pill burden at the moment with the high doses of rifapentine, though I hope that there'll be newer formulations in the future that reduce that pill burden. So I think there are a few key key advantages in for, for some populations, yes. Thank you. Do you have any final comments about the EDS study or, or predominant? Before we close? Uh, no, I'm just really grateful that you chose to interview me about this regimen. It was really a labor of love that took many, many years and it started in 2015 and now is just recently producing results. And I'm just glad for the collaborators at UCTLI and for the patients who volunteered to be part of this so we can learn more about this drug. And, and I, I think Protomina will have a role in TB, and I hope that this study was useful in helping us figuring out what the right niche is for it. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for this interesting discussion. To the listener to read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. And you can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. So season's greetings to everybody and, and thanks for listening. <laughs>